Good morning, church. I'll be reading from Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Please pray with me. Thank you, God. Thank you for the miracle of faith. Thank you that you heal as this property was transformed into a night in Bethlehem. I love how you transform our lives. If there's anybody in here who has not had a transformed life, who does not have a new life with their death with Jesus Christ and in his resurrection, I pray that salvation would come today to that person. As Chris brings the word give us understanding that we're not just listening to the words but allow us to see allow us to apply it to our lives be his strength as he comes up thank you for being the strength in our lives in our suffering especially in our suffering God give us the perseverance to put one foot in front of the other And that with that, we will develop character and hope and be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is night in Bethlehem. Sunday. I know it was pretty crazy out there for parking, um, but man, thank you guys for making it and, and coming. I mean, sometimes it can feel like Sunday morning is just another thing that you do on night in Bethlehem week, but this is the whole point, isn't it? Coming to worship Jesus, coming to learn from his word, coming to let him speak to our hearts and our minds today. So, I uh, mean, I'm excited to give you the word. I'm excited to talk about the things that have been going on. It has been an amazing couple of nights at a night in Bethlehem. We have one more night tonight. But, man, thank you so much. For those of you that have been helping, painting sets and hanging up lights and doing all the things, thank you so much uh, from the bottom of my heart. I just want to say special thanks to our staff. Just, man, amazing uh, week of work together, a lot of time to spend together. But I mean, we're excited about night in Bethlehem, and there's one more night. One more night. So if you're serving it, Isaiah, you're back, right, tonight, right? Um, But man, we're excited about the message. And so I want to give you a little clue about what we're doing at a night in Bethlehem. So if you haven't been yet and you want to be surprised, spoiler alert, all right? You could tune me out, but you got to tune back in. 
Now, you tune me out for just a second because the night in Bethlehem this year um, is based upon Luke chapter 24. You might be thinking, well, what perspective are we going to see? You're going to see the perspective of Clea and Joshua. And so this idea comes from Matthew, or Luke 24, a walk to Emmaus, right? Let's look at it real quick together, just so you kind of get an idea of the inspiration that came behind a night in Bethlehem and the story. It says there, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And, they sa- and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Now, it's night in Bethlehem week, so you've got to start picturing this scene, right? They have, they're wearing tablecloths from Hilton that became night in Bethlehem outfits, okay? And they're walking along, right? And Jesus starts walking beside them, and he asks this question, what you talking about? And they stop. And they, like, look at him, right? This is the picture they're going on, right? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, who in our story becomes Clea, right, answered him and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? Like, are you the only one who hasn't heard about what's been going on here in Jerusalem? And he said to them, what things? And he, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests, rulers, and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women for our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that he had, they had seen visions of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they're blinded. Like, all these things are happening all around, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but they can't see it. Why? Well, if you look back at verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he would be the one to take Israel from being underneath the Roman um, empire and to rise up and be the one that ruled like the King of David, like King David, and, and had all this thing. That was their idea. They had this expectation that Jesus hadn't met. And this is the same thing with the Pharisees and the scribes. They had this expectation of who the king of the Jews was going to be. And it wasn't going to be a sign hanging over a cross. It was going to be a king that came back and conquered those who had conquered them. And so they had these expectations that were unmet, and they couldn't see. And he said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So tonight in Bethlehem, you're going to be with Clea and Joshua, and they're going to be walking through the story, and you're going to meet different prophets. You're going to see Jonah flip out of a fish. I think he's like 86 flips coming out of a fish. You can pray for Jonah. We don't have a backup Jonah. Please pray for Jonah, right? Riddick has flipped out of that thing 86 times already. He's got about 50 more 
tonight, all right? But you get to meet Jonah and Hosea and Isaiah and Micah and Malachi and John the Baptist, and you get to meet all these people. And guess what? What they say comes true. And we believe this, don't we? That what God speaks is truth. And that's what we're going to be telling the story. We're going to meet these people and then see that scene play out as we talk about the story of Jesus's birth. And so Jesus walks along with them. And so they, as they drew near the village to where they were going, he acted as if he was going further. And they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards the evening and the day is not now far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we were, while we, he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? That when Jesus speaks, there's this burning in us. There's this desire to know more. Oh, I wish I could have seen it. I wish my expectation wasn't off somewhere else. I wish I could see Jesus as he really is. And that's the, that's the call of our life. As we read the scripture, Lord, open our mind and open our hearts to what you're saying so we can better understand you. And that's really what we're going to dive into in Matthew 15. So pray for tonight as we get to tell the story one more time, uh, one more night, and to everybody that comes in so they can know that when they leave this place, they can know that what God speaks is truth. And start praying for us. I don't, even, I don't know what we're going to do next year. We're open to ideas about what you think the perspective should be next year. The one perspective I've heard from so many people is what, Caroline? The donkey. They want the, they want the guy to be a donkey, right? Now, I don't know the logistics of that. And here's the thing that keeps popping up in my head when they keep saying that, right? A night in Bethlehem with Shrek. Because I imagine me up front, Right? Sort of green, green light, and here comes donkey, right? Coming up with me, like, a little too distracting for that. So I don't know if we'll be able to pull that one off, right? Uh, but, man, we're praying that every year we get a chance to tell the story in a, a unique and a fun way so that people, I got a chance just last night to meet a, a girl. She's 13 years old, and from four months old, she's been coming to a night in Bethlehem. Her parents have been pushing her through in a stroller, and she's heard that all these stories. She was so excited. What's the story this year? What perspective are you telling this year? Because she's seen a different perspective every year that she's gone through. Man, that's why we do what we do. Just to get a chance to share so that when she reads the story of Jonah, she's going to picture this guy for her. They see, they read Isaiah. They're going to picture Terry out there, right? Giving that, giving it, proclaiming it as we go. So that's the reason that we do the things we do. Planting seeds that the Lord will make grow, we hope. Right? So pray that the seeds we're planting this weekend will begin to grow and, and people will be blessed for eternity because of the things that we're doing. All right? Now, back to the story. Back to Matthew chapter 15. Because we see, just like these guys that were on the way to the road to Emmaus, they, they, they didn't get it. They couldn't see what was going on. And so we see the Pharisees and the scribes in a very similar position. They can't see Jesus as being the Messiah, the king. He's not fulfilling the things that they expect him to do. And here's an example of it. Look what it says in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now again, remember, we're picturing this scene, right? They have traveled from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. Remember, Jesus just got through walking on the water. He's healing people all around the Sea of Galilee. He is doing amazing work there, but 
the Pharisees in Jerusalem send this group of people to check him out, and they're actually going to come to Jesus and publicly rebuke him. So they're going to travel. Now, this is about a 100-mile journey all the way from Jerusalem to get to the north side of the Sea of Galilee where Capernaum and, and all these different places are. So they have traveled all this way in order to confront, to rebuke Jesus because they're worried about this movement. They're worried about this, this way that is beginning to go where people are beginning to be flock to Jesus in this way. So they begin to rebuke him. And what are they going to rebuke him? They're going to accuse him of sin. They're going to accuse him of wrongdoing because he is breaking the tradition of the elders. Right? So this is a, a group of rules that the Pharisees have put together based upon Scripture, they believe. I think they had a heart that they wanted to honor God with these traditions that they had, but they were begin, beginning to raise these traditions to the same position as the Bible. And we have to be aware of that. So what do we mean by traditions? Here, here's a couple of definitions of traditions, okay? Here's the first definition. The transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. I think this is a great definition, right? This is actually a positive definition, that when you have traditions, when you have a sort of ideas, culture, things that you're wanting to pass down, generation to generation, so you don't lose those sort of cultures. For example, in your family, you probably have Christmas traditions, things that you like to do that you hope that your kids begin to do, and your kids' kids begin to do, and you're trying to plant those seeds of the gospel. Like for our family, we love to read an Advent book called Jotham's Journey, Right, which kind of takes them on a story of this shepherd boy that goes and he, he gets a chance to end up at the cross, worshiping Jesus at the end of the story. Um, we love to do things like on Christmas morning, we love to have breakfast before we open our gifts. Anybody remember being a kid? Like I was the kid that stayed up all night, like ear against the door with my sister. There, there's something's happening. Maybe he's out there. Right? And I'm trying to peek under the door, and then my parents started stuffing towels under the door, right? And I, just, I remember that, staying up all night, or trying to stay up all night. 5 a.m., you're like, knock on your parents' door, trying to go out there, right? I just remember those times, but then, then I became a parent, right? And then it was like, I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. We're going to do stockings, then we're going to have breakfast, right? We're going to have angel biscuits. We got a little cookie cutter. We're going to have angel eggs, because no deviled eggs. On Christmas, right? <laughs> Only Jesus. So we, have, we have Jesus in swaddling clothes, which are just pigs in a blanket, but Jesus in swaddling clothes, right? So we just have these like little names. We have a birthday cake for Jesus, right? We have these traditions, just things that we want to plant in our kids that they, maybe they'll do it. Their kids are like, oh yeah, there's Jesus in swaddling clothes, right? And they just, he goes into your heart. Anyway, um, we didn't think that one through, but it's still, it's fun traditions, right? Things that you're passing down, you're sowing seeds that you hope grow into gospel messages and things about God's word, and you're enforcing those things, right, as you go through. So I just love that idea. I love that thing. But traditions can sometimes get to that level of something more than just passing down these things to your family. Because look at the second definition, second bullet point in Webster's definition is this. A belief, principle, or way of acting that people in a particular society or group have continued to follow for a long time. So the idea is that sometimes there's this belief or this way of acting that a society begins to accept 
And for over a period of time, this now becomes the new norm, right? This tradition is something that they say, in this Jewish tradition, they had these certain rules that you had to follow these rules. On the Sabbath, you can only do this much things. You can't do this, right? And some of that was based in the Word of God, but sometimes we create guardrails for the Word of God. For example, on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath, right? Here's that rule. But then you're putting up a guardrail. If you do work, you know what's doing work? Pushing the button on the elevator. That's work. So let's not do that. And then they put up these guardrails to protect us from doing work. But what happens is that sometimes the guardrails become the rule. And we lose sight of the gospel. And what's happened is many times us as the church have done this more than anybody. We've created guardrails to try to protect ourselves from falling off the cliff into sin, but we've created guardrails that sometimes put extra weight on people that they can't bear. This is what these Pharisees do, but unfortunately we have a little bit of that in us too. I remember um, when I was growing up, right, we know the Bible says, like, let's use alcohol as an example, right? Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, right? Um, we're not supposed to get drunk. We just, we just know that very clear scripturally. But sometimes we make a rule, okay, we're not supposed to get drunk, but don't, don't have alcohol in your home at all, right? I, I actually love that rule because I remember being a youth minister 27 years. I didn't want youth to come over and like, be led astray or to be a stumbling block for them. And it was easy because I, I don't like it. So um, that was the rule. But then I've seen people put up rules like, okay, not only can you not have alcohol in your house, but you can't work at a place that sells alcohol. So if you work at HEB, you're a sinner. And it's like, whoa, we've kind of moved farther away from what God had intended. He's like, I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to think clearly about the things that you do so that you don't do things that dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. See, traditions, when they get raised up to the place of God, they become a stumbling block for people. Instead, let's just trust people to know this is what God's Word says. Well, they've gotten in the way. What is the rule that these Pharisees have walked 100 miles to call them out on? Here's the rule in the next part of verse 2. It says, For they do not wash their hands when they eat. That's the rule. The tradition that the disciples are breaking is that they're not washing their hands. If you remember, there's times where they'll go through the grain field and they'll pick off grain and, and they pop it in their mouth and like, sinner, you're not washing your hands. To the, to the Pharisees, this idea of cleanliness and, and this idea of ceremonial cleansing was precious to their heart. So much so that um, even one of the early rabbis said that um, not washing your hands was the equation or equal to sleeping with a harlot. That in their mind, that if you broke one rule, if you broke this not cleansing your hands, that was the same as adultery, that was the same as murder, that, because you had broken one of the traditions of the elders. So this was something that was strong in their heart, a conviction they had that they were putting upon the people. Now listen, Jesus is being openly rebuked by these Pharisees and these scribes, and so Jesus is going to push back. Right? Now, this is something, when you get um, accused or you get pushed upon, when you begin to answer back to them, you have to match that sort of level of intensity. For example, if Chad and I were to hang out and he asked me a question about something, it would not be appropriate for he challenged me. It's not appropriate for me to come up on stage the next Sunday and be like, hey, guys, guess what Chad said? Yeah. 
that, that's the wrong setting, right? That I, I talk to Chad and we hang out and we work it out and we make those things work in the way that we live our life, right? So here, Jesus is being called out in front of everybody. So his response is back in the same intensity. So look how Jesus answers this question. It says, he answered them and said, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So here's Jesus' pushback on them. Here's his question back to them. Why do you break the commandments of God? Now, if a tradition is something that can waver based upon the society and the time, is an expectation of a society, a commandment of God is something that is eternal. All right, look at this definition of commandment, okay? Um, here's sort of the definition that's there. Uh, directions of God concerning particular matters which he once observed with reverence to the circumstances as they arise. So again, we have the Ten Commandments, right? We have God's law that he's given to us in different examples. And saying, this is the commandment. Why do you break the commandments for the sake of tradition? And he's going to push back on them and give them an example in the next few verses. Look at his example that he gives back. For God has commanded, honor your father and mother and... Whoever reviles father and mother will surely die. So he goes back to the Torah and he says, here's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. He says, and if you don't, the price of that is death. And so then here's the example. But you say, here's one of their traditions. If you, um, if you tell, let me find my spot real quick. Uh, But if you say, you tell your father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So what he's saying is this, right? We're supposed to honor our father and mother. As they get older, as they have needs, we're supposed to love on them, take care of them, provide for them, um, strengthen them. We're supposed to be there for our father and our mother. But what's happening with the Pharisees is they had a tradition that they would provide out of the things that weren't dedicated to God. So if you dedicated something to God, that wasn't something you could use to take care of your parents with. So guess what people started doing? Dedicating everything to God. Oh, you, I'm sorry, you can't live in my house because my house is dedicated to God. Oh, you can't use my car because my car is dedicated to God. Korban, right? It's Korban, right? Oh, my, my bank account is dedicated to God. So I can't give you a loan. I can't help you out with these sort of things. Right? And say so they were using their tradition to excuse themselves away from their responsibility to care for their father and their mother. And Jesus calls them out on this tradition. And here's what he says. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. This is why we have to be careful that we don't let tradition get on the same level as the word. Because when it does, what happens when they come into conflict with one another? Don't let the tradition void the word of God. And then he says this after that. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, so picture in Isaiah saying these words, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Whew, man, I pray this is never true about us. Praise never true about me, that I, I don't want to just honor God with my lips. My life away from here is living for myself. My life away from here is not living for the Lord. We want what we say and how we live to be aligned together, right? Because, again, if they're not aligned, what do they call us? He said, 
you hypocrites. When what we say doesn't match our life, we're not going to be an example of Christ. And so this quote of Isaiah is challenging us. Make sure that what we speak is true. And then Jesus begins to define that for them in these next few verses. Look what he says in verse 10. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And if you remember back in Leviticus, right, they had these different rules for eating, right? Eating kosher, or eating, um, eating food that was particularly clean according to God's standards, right? And so with a, with a cliffed hoof, Right? Or they, were, they chewed their cud, and this gave them permission to eat these kind of animals and gave them rules like drain the blood and do these different things. And in God's word, in Leviticus, were the, these were the clean animals. But if you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter sees this vision coming down of these animals, right? And God says, What God has made clean, do not call unclean, because Peter would refuse to eat it. He's like, No, 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 I've never let anything unclean come into my life. He's like, Listen, what God calls clean, you don't call unclean. That everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Don't get caught up so much in that the things that you do are dishonoring God. What comes out of your heart is what matters. And here's what he says to them. He says, then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? What do you think? Did Jesus know that what he was going to say would be offensive to them? Yeah. Did they come worrying about how Jesus was going to accept their word? This kind of reminds me of, of sometimes people like to dish it, but they don't like to take it, right? If you're going to come and you're going to challenge somebody else, be ready for them to challenge you back, especially if what you're challenging them about is wrong, right? We don't want to be the kind of people that we take a shot at someone back there and then we run off, right? It's like, oh, no, if you're going to challenge someone, you come and challenge them. That's where you work together and working those things out, right? So they're, they're, they're offended because Jesus is pushing back against them saying, oh, you say I'm breaking a tradition. I say you're dishonoring the law of God with your traditions, right? And they're back and forth. And then they ask Jesus to tell them more about what's going on in this story. And so they said, um, they asked him to interpret it. So he said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Maybe next year we should do our night in Bethlehem as blind guides. All right, they just kind of follow around. If they hit a hay bale, they go that way, right? Okay, never mind. That would not be a good way to go through night in Bethlehem, would it? To have guides that were blind and weren't able to see what was in front of them. Here's what he's saying. These Pharisees are blind guides, right? They're people that are um, not willing Right, to see the truth that's right before them. And they're willing to walk off the cliff. They're willing to yell, crucify him, crucify him, without looking around and going, man, we're not going the right direction. We're pushing against God. And so he calls them blind guys. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now we have to understand that out of our heart, our mouth speaks. So what's in our heart? 
And he gives them a list of things that we need to be aware of. How about evil thoughts? What do we do with evil thoughts when they begin to grow in our heart? We take that thought captive, we make it obedient to Christ. So if we're a new creation in Christ, right, when evil thoughts come up, instead of embracing that evil thought, we think on the things that are trustworthy. It makes you think of Philippians 4.8, right? Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. So when you find your heart or your mind beginning to drift into things that are negative or are not true or not loving, take it captive. No, no, no. I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to show them grace. I'm going to think on things that are lovely instead of let evil thoughts embrace my heart and my mind and my soul. What about murder and adultery? What do we do when we have hate and murder and all these other things? Hate and murder. We should be loving our neighbor as ourselves. Right? We take hate and we, we put it away and we choose to love and show grace and honor others better than ourselves. Adultery and sexual morality talked about all over the scripture. What, what should our view be on these things? No, no. God has given us marriage as a gift between a man and a woman to be something that we celebrate and that sex is designed to be one of those things that God's gift to us inside of a covenant relationship. We can celebrate those things. We don't have to let our mind drift into sexual morality and adultery and all these other things. Instead, we can stand on the truth of what God says in his word. And the last part about slander, right, false witness, right, instead we need to stand on the truth, kindness, grace. Now think about this. Which person would you rather spend time with? The person that has evil thoughts hatred, slander, false witness, or the person that is kind, grace-filled, willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, willing to love you in the midst of your struggles, right? Which person would you rather be around? Which one is a better example of Christ? The one that gives grace and mercy, right? And then we see example of this grace and mercy coming up in this next story, the one that Ceci read for us. Let's go to verse 20. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus withdraws from Galilee to get away, right? If you remember our map last week of where the different Herods were, right? We had all these different Herods that were in the story. If you notice up on the very top left, you have Tyre. Right, way up here, out of the way, very far away from Jerusalem, far away from the rule of Herod and all these different people as well. And he gets away, but while he's there, he meets someone. He says, but and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Again, picture the scene. Jesus is escaping, getting away with, with his disciples of Tyre's side. And here comes this woman screaming from the outside like, Jesus, Jesus, pay attention. My daughter, she's demon-possessed. Jesus, and trying to get their attention. But Jesus didn't answer her, right? Jesus didn't say a word to her. And the disciples, verse 12, it says, The disciples came to him and said to him, Do you, not, do you know? Wait, I totally went to the wrong story. Sorry. Let's go back. Um, verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. The disciples were like, Lord, send her away. Let me ask you this. When you 
want to be near Jesus, are you easily pushed away? Right? She could have easily been pushed away in this story. She could have easily been discouraged. She could have easily been like, no, no, this is too hard. No one really wants me here. But yet she continues to cry out and continues to call out. And he answered, this is Jesus, and he answered, said, I'm sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That Jesus' purpose was to speak to Israel, to show them what redemption truly was going to look like. It was an individual salvation for each and every one of them. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And this can seem like it's kind of harsh, doesn't it? It seems like he's calling her like a dog. How could Jesus be saying that? But when you look at this word, it means like a pet. It's someone that's beloved, but just not part of the family, right? It's like, I love you, but you're not part of, the, you're not part of this family. You're not part of the purpose of things that are going. That time is going to come. After the resurrection, right, Paul's going to be this chosen instrument to the Gentiles to bring the word to them. But she's not dismayed. She's not easily pushed away. Look what she does. She says, um, yes, Lord, but even the dogs, even the pets eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Whew. Don't be discouraged. Keep coming to the Lord. Be persistent. Chase after the Lord day after day, asking him, seeking him, wanting to be near him day after day, and he will answer. Don't be easily pushed away. Don't be easily discouraged in being in fellowship with others and being close to the Lord. Because the enemy will put stumbling blocks in your way, won't he? He'll put things in your way to try to trip you up. He'll try to keep you from that. He'll put those traditions in the way or he'll put other things in the way. Mistakes of people he'll put in the way. Instead, we're going to be grace-filled, seeking after him, not easily discouraged, just like this woman who was willing to cry out to the Lord in desperation. And guess what? He answered her. He answered her, and her daughter is healed. Her daughter's life is changed because of the, the persistence of this woman. Let's be that way. Let's chase that. Let's not be easily discouraged. Chase after Jesus with everything that we have just to, to get at his feet for a moment. What a gift it would be. Better is it one day in his court than a thousand elsewhere. So let's seek after him day by day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this story of this persistent woman, Lord, that is willing to fall at Jesus' feet and has faith, Lord, in him. Help us, Lord, to have faith in you and to walk clearly with you. Lord, I pray for a night in Bethlehem tonight that as we speak the words that are in your your word, Lord, as these prophets proclaim your word, Lord, we know that those things come true. Lord, help it to make an impact on people's eternity. Lord, we praise you and we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I, I pray you were blessed uh, by the worship and by the word, and we're really glad that you chose to be with us this morning. And as you probably heard a lot of today, we are doing Night in Bethlehem, and tonight is our last night that we will be putting that on. So if you haven't joined us yet for that, we want to invite you to come on out. We're going to go from 6 to 8.30. 
uh, tonight, so it's going to be really good, but we want to encourage you, if you haven't taken part, if you haven't gotten to enjoy um, some of the awesome acting and the, the music and the dancing and everything, it's, it's a, an amazing event where we get to share this story, so we hope you would join us if you haven't been yet. Um, with Night in Bethlehem, with it being the last night, we do have a few needs um, that you can meet, that you can help us with. Uh, the first thing is this, we need about 45 dozen cookies uh, for tonight. And so if you're a baker and you, you like to bake cookies and things like that, we need about 45 dozen, which sounds like a lot, but last service we asked for a hundred dozen and we had about 55 of those filled out and taken care of. So if you want to bake some cookies for tonight, we have a sign up sheet out in the lobby that you can help us out with. That would be amazing. And the last thing is this, at 9.30 tonight, 9.30, our event ends, and then we're going to tear down everything that is set up out here. Um, it's going to be a bit of a late night, but if you're available and you want to help uh, take all of this down and help us get that taken care of and get our church property looking you know, like a church property and a little less like Bethlehem again, uh, please join us for that. We would appreciate the help if you're able to come and do that. But church, we love you, and, and we're, we're grateful that you came. Um, and we just want to leave you with this verse today out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Church, I pray that you would do good today and that you would not grow weary in doing it. We love you. You're dismissed.